Every holiday season, we see the words hope, peace, joy, and love. But we rarely feel this way. Too often we try to fill the void with songs, gifts, and family gatherings, but we are left longing for more. In the midst of this holiday season, where do we look to find these things? There is only one true bringer of hope, one true bringer of peace, one true bringer of joy, and one true bringer of love. His name is Jesus, for unto us a Savior is born, and Christmas is only the beginning of better things to come. Yes, <clears throat> yes it is. There we go. Yes it is. The uh, better things to come. Toward that end, I want to double down on what Jenny just mentioned. Who are you investing in? Who are you inviting to come and be a part of what God is going to do in us and through us this Christmas season at Venture, Thursday night, Sunday morning. Speaking of those, I don't know if you've thought about this yet, but it takes a small army of good-hearted volunteers to pull off Christmas here at Venture. If you have not yet signed up to be a part of It's Fun, rolling up your sleeves, serving together. We did this last year and had a ball serving together. The idea is you worship one, you serve one, and you just have fun while doing that. If you have not yet done that, you can hit our website, venturechristian.church slash ChristmasServe2023. We'll make it easy for you. You just hit that, click that link, give us a little bit of information. We'll follow up with you, get you plugged in well. It really is fun serving together. Good stuff happening this coming week. I can't wait. So this is week three of our It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas Christmas series. The question is, is it, is it looking a lot like Christmas? They tell me meteorologists say we're not seeing snow. It's not going to be a white Christmas this year. But really it's deeper than that. We're asking the questions that go to the spiritual heart of the matter. We've been talking about hope and peace. This week, the title of the message is, it looks like joy. At least, it should. Christmas should look like joy. Toward that end, each week we have been lighting one of these Advent candles. And this week we get to light the joy candle. Week one, we lit hope. Week two, we, whip, we lit peace. Week three, we light joy. The joy candle happens to be pink. The rest are purple. Some of you detail-oriented people, you noticed that. Ask me why the candle is pink. I don't know. You're welcome to go ahead and do some Googling yourself. Uh, there are answers all across the spectrum on that. The truth is we really don't know. This is an ancient tradition. The church has been doing for quite a while. We're stepping into an ancient tradition here. It's important to recognize hope, peace, joy. When I say joy, I wonder what you think about. My guess is that if you're like me, your gut reaction to that word joy, well, might be a bit of a misnomer. I suspect we think that joy means one thing when really it means something else entirely. Unless it's your name, joy is not one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. Can we talk about, just real quick, can we talk about joy versus 
happiness. I think there's this kind of a misconception that joy is happiness on steroids. And maybe, to some degree, we tend to think of it like this. We tend to say that happiness is when you put on that coat you haven't worn for a year. You're all doing that right now, the big, heavy, puffy winter coat. You reach your hand into your pocket and you discover a $5 bill. That's happiness. But if you reach your hand into your pocket and you pull out a $20 bill, well, that's joy. With inflation, maybe that story doesn't work. Okay, so you reach your hand in, and it's a $20 bill. That's happiness. A $100 bill, it's joy. Or here's another way we misconceive this. We would say happiness is the stock market this last week if you're my age. Joy would be the stock market this last week if you're getting ready to retire, and you're going to roll that stuff over into a safer investment vehicle. Maybe happiness, joy. That analogy doesn't work for students. Students, how about this one? Christmas season, you go to bed and the forecast is calling for snow in the morning. You wake up, two hour delay, happiness. They call off school, joy. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, that's not happening this calendar year, at least according to what they're saying. It's also really not true, happiness versus joy. Joy is not happiness on steroids. That's not how it works. Happiness and joy may appear to be similar, but there's more to them than one just being a stronger version of the other. Here's why. Happiness is a reaction. You see something, you experience something, you respond, oh, I feel happiness. Sometimes things happen to you, maybe to the people that you love or even just to the circumstances that you're stepping into, living into, and you react with happiness. You didn't do anything. You just feel happy because something happened that you like. For example, maybe you have a cool experience. You go down to the Kristen Kringle, I never can pronounce that thing, market just down the road. You experience that. You feel happiness. Maybe you have a prayer answered. You feel happiness. Quality time with a family member or a friend. Oh, I feel happy. You receive an amazing gift. It's Christmas after all. The Red Rider BB gun. I feel happy. But you know as well as I do that that tends to fade. Those toys break within a week, has been my experience, of Christmas morning. And happiness sometimes can be replaced with tears. Maybe you feel happy. Just You're one of those people that you love the Christmas season and you're responding to an emotion of happiness. You get the idea. These things are all great, by the way. They're just not joy. Why? Because happiness is a reaction. Joy is different. Maybe you've heard the phrase, choose joy. Honestly, though, that that just sounds exhausting to me. Maybe you hear that and you think of joy then, well, it's just good vibes. It's just acting like everything is fine even when it's not fine. Maybe it's just focusing on the good stuff, ignoring the bad. Sounds impossible. Honestly, to me, that sounds kind of fake. It's not real. Inauthentic. Joy is deeper than that. Joy 
is more lasting, and it's what we're aiming at as we light that candle today. My mom used to say it this way. She would say, happiness is temporary. Christmas morning toys break. Happiness is a temporary feeling. It can be very profoundly influenced by my circumstances. On the other hand, joy is a lifestyle, and it's what we're aiming at today. Let's define joy, shall we? If you're taking notes, you might even want to write this one down. Joy doesn't ignore the hard stuff in life. Mm -mm. Life is hard, and you can still have joy in the midst of it, but it doesn't let the hard stuff determine how you feel. Do you see the difference between happiness and joy? I've been studying a lot about joy this idea of rising above the circumstantial happiness that I live in. I've been studying this a lot, and I'm discovering I want more of this in my life. I'm studying it because we're getting ready to launch a sermon series right after Christmas is done. We're going to step into the new year. We're going to study for quite a while through the book of Philippians, and I can't wait. This is a sermon series that's been close to 30 years in the making in my heart. I can't wait to share it with you. Some of the profound insights that the Apostle Paul shares with us, four chapters in the book of Philippians. Sixteen times in those four short chapters, he uses the word joy or rejoice. By the way, he's writing that from a Roman jail cell. Joy in the midst of weird, difficult circumstances. I want more of that in my life. Instead of just waiting for joy to happen to us, what can we do to invite it, more of it, into our lives? That's what we're aiming at today. If you want to grab your Bible and pull it out, I'm going to join you there in the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you get to John, you've gone too far. Luke is the third book in your New Testament. I love so many things about the Gospel of Luke. I'm curious, how many of you have a tradition during the Christmas season? Maybe it's Christmas Eve, maybe it's Christmas morning, where you read Luke chapter 2 as a family. Does anybody else have that tradition? I love that. There's so many details in that story of Jesus' birth. If that's not your tradition, I might suggest that is a good one to lean into this Christmas, that morning wake up and gather the kids or grandkids and just focus on what's really going on in this moment. Read the Christmas story together, Luke chapter 2. I love it. Luke's account gives us a whole lot of information about Jesus' birth. By the way, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, was a Gentile, which is just a fancy word to say he wasn't Jewish. The locals would say, you ain't from around here, are you? He had something to say about living outside the Jewish faith because he had been excluded in some ways from the Jewish, the religious community. So he's writing to an audience of people who were also Gentiles. He shares with them details for a specific purpose, and we're going to lead into that today. He wanted readers who weren't Jewish to know that the birth of Jesus was for them as well and that Jesus the joy that he brings is nothing like the happiness that some of the Roman leaders had been promising and what the audience was used to. 
He tells us a bunch of things about Jesus. He's the son of God. He's born in a manger instead of a palace. This is a big deal to the Roman thinking people who were his audience. He was born, Jesus, to an unmarried teenage girl, and he wasn't from a rich family from within the Jewish community. He tells us how a group of shepherds were the first to hear this news, and these are dirty, unclean, according to religious law, outcasts of society. They were the first to hear the news of Jesus' birth. In other words, Luke wanted his audience to know that Jesus changed everything. The message is different from what they had heard before. It was better. This is for everyone. He writes this. If you're joining me in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. We talked about this week one. They didn't feel hope. There was a distinct lack of hope. They had been conditioned to feel this way. Rome, the might of Rome, had its boot on their neck. They were jumpy. But I suspect this was quite a sight as well, a whole army of angels. Let's keep reading. The angel said to them, do not be afraid to bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he's the Messiah. He's the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Can we go back one slide? Several words here. Savior, Messiah, Lord. I had a conversation with one of my boys, one of my 23-year-old sons not long ago, and he said, Dad, you're such a nerd. I've been... Hey, if you're 23 and you think you never can get inside your parents' brain, let me just say, that conversation got into my brain. I keep thinking about that because I reacted to it and I said, I'm not a nerd. What are you talking about? He went on to educate me between the finer points, the differences between geek and nerd. He said, Dad, you're absolutely a nerd. Not to illustrate this too much, but I want to share with you the words that are actually used here in your, the Koine Greek words in your New Testament. Nerd. Soter. Christos. Kurios. One of my favorite study tool helps. It's a lexicon. It's known as Lo and Nida. These are the last names of the authors. It gets into semantic domains, not just where words come from, like etymology, but in the New Testament, all these words, how they're related to one another and how they evolve across language. Because what's happening in the first century, there's a melting pot. We recognize that. There's all kinds of layers even in your New Testament of how words are used. Here's an example. Jesus from the cross. Language is 3D chess right here. He's quoted as saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that's Aramaic, and it's right there in your Bible, which means, translated into Koine Greek, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's speaking Aramaic. He's quoting a passage in the Old Testament that's written in Hebrew. He's saying it in Aramaic, and it gets translated for you right there into Greek, and then it gets translated into our English Bibles. That's enough to make your head spin. What do words mean? Luke's audience, when they heard these words, 
light bulbs would have been flashing on their dashboard because these words have significant meaning across the range of his audience. Soter, Christos, Kurios, Savior, Messiah, Lord. Some of these are transliterated. Some of them are actually translated. Not to bore you with the details, but a couple hundred years before Jesus is born, the Greek Septuagint is the title of the translation. There was a pharaoh, a king, I guess, in Egypt who commissioned, he wanted the Hebrew Torah in the trade language of the day in Greek for him to read in his library in Alexandria. So he sends actually 72 scholars. It gets shortened to the LXX, which is the Roman numeral numbers for 70. But 72 scholars, six from each tribe of Israel, they gather together and they translate the Torah into Greek of the day. And so even by the time Jesus comes along, there's a mixture then of Hebrew and Greek. Some of the scholars of his day actually preferred the Greek word here. Christos is a title, literally means Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word. And you'll notice in your New Testament, it's translated as Messiah. We've been waiting for this person, this Savior. We've been waiting for centuries for a Lord, a boss man, to show up and to save us. Oh, we need salvation. This news is for all. The Greek thinking Romans the Hebrew-thinking Jewish people. And let's even blend some of the language together to point out, Luke is saying, this is for everybody. The shepherds are minding their own business in the middle of the field in the middle of the night. An angel appears. Don't be afraid. Oh, they're terrified, but there is a good news afoot. The angel talks about good news. And to the people living in the Roman Empire at the time, the phrase good news was something that they would have been familiar with. It was like PR. Uh, every time Caesar would get up and make an announcement, he would talk about good news. It was almost like it would come in one ear and out the other for them. Yeah, 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 it's going to be good news for the elite, for some, not for all of us. But you notice this message is good news for all. The shepherds would have caught that. I suspect that inspired joy in their hearts. Because, no, this means I actually have good news. News that will bring about actual joy. Because this is the start of better things. What's the news? Well, the news is that today a Savior and Messiah has been born. A Savior. Save me. TikTok. So, my wife is constantly sending me these TikTok clips. Uh, they used to be all kinds of genres. Here recently, I told you not long ago, we bought a different house new to us. We're going to have to remodel, like rehab completely this house. So recently, my algorithm has changed to remodeling and house idea streams. These are the ones she's sending me. But somewhere in that algorithm, there's a video that has been embedded. And it's probably because every time I'm, I'm seeing this video, I stop I pause, I watch it to completion because something happens inside of my heart just like it happens inside every human heart. We recognize the need for a savior. Have you seen this video? This happened as I understand it in Hungary. 
There's a baby that falls down a well shaft, 49 feet down. That's five stories. We need a savior. This prepubescent boy, I think he's 12 years old. His shoulders have not widened yet. He, th these grown men that you know, it's their job to rescue the baby. They can't make it down the well shaft, but this little boy says, put me in, coach, I'm ready to play. And they tie a rope around his ankles and he goes down head first and he drags the baby out. And oh, right there, the look on that dad's face. Oh man, that makes my heart pound faster. Do you recognize the need for a savior? Happiness is the look on that dad's face, my baby circumstantially, he's back. I bet that deepened to joy. Maybe it was that night. Maybe two weeks later when he's tucking his son into bed and he's processed all of those emotions. Joy. I lost him. And now he's back. I bet that young hero lives in some joy now, even recognizing what he's capable of doing, stepping up when the moment is needed. Happiness, joy. Let's go back to the shepherds. What was the news? The news was that today a Savior, a Messiah has been born. And again, those words would have made people think of an earthly king, a ruler like Caesar. But the angel said this is good news for all people. The good news of Rome isn't just good news for everybody. The good news that came from Rome was just good news for certain people, but this is for all if you're taking notes, I want you to write down four reasons. Yeah, I went there to jump for joy. I suspect that the shepherds jumped for joy in the middle of this. Here's four reasons to jump for joy. The first one, we've literally just talked about it. Write this down. It's that joy is for all. It's for all the people, not just some, not just a select few, not just the elite. The shepherds are living proof that joy can be had by all. Good news from God was good news for all people, Jewish people, non-Jewish people. Not to put too fine a detail on this point, but Jesus underlines this, stars it, puts exclamation marks on either side of this. I've told this story before, but I love this story because this is the moment I think that the disciples had an aha moment. Actually, I think that early Christians all over the world who were non-Jewish people had an aha moment with this story. Let me show you Kersey. This is the ruins you're looking at here of a, an ancient church building that was built a couple hundred years after Jesus did the stuff that we're reading about right now. Let's go ahead and punch in a little bit so you can see some of the details. You saw behind there where I think a miracle occurred. And people believe that that's where it occurred because they erected a church there to celebrate this moment. Well, what's the moment? It's the moment where Jesus said, listen, this is good news for all. My hand map. This side of the Sea of Galilee, this is the Jewish side of the lake. All you had to do was row across the lake to be into a foreign country. The Gentile side of the lake, the region of the Decapolis, the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus takes his disciples across the lake. 
there's a miracle that's performed there in Gentile country. There's a dude who is running around naked. He's possessed by demons. Jesus casts out the demons into a herd of pigs. They run off the cliff. They're drowned in the Sea of Galilee. I think that happened right here. The curious thing that happens, the end of that story, the man comes to Jesus and says, well, let's read it, shall we? The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away, curious. I want to follow you. No. Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. We overcomplicate evangelism. It's come and see Come and see Jesus, what he's done. And once you have a story to tell, then you go and tell that story. Jesus is saying, no, I don't want you to come with me to the other side of the lake. Why? Because you already speak the language here. Have you talked to your neighbors yet about Jesus? And this is what happens. The man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Huh. Jesus performs a miracle on this side of the lake. He feeds 5,000 people. Perhaps you've read that story. Sometime later, they're back over here in that same spot that we just read that story. 4,000 Gentiles show up to hear the news of Jesus. He performs a miracle. 4,000 people are fed. There's food left over. There were 12 baskets left over on this side. There are seven baskets of food left over on this side. Huh. Well, where did those people come from? That guy, he told his story. 4,000 people came to see and to learn and to hear, well, who is this Jesus you speak of? Seven baskets of food are left over. They're rowing back across the lake from this side to this side, and Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. He says, did you count the baskets? Yeah. Well, there were 12 baskets left over here and seven baskets left over here. And then he makes this curious statement. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, this biochemical reaction that happens when you knead yeast into dough. It works its way through the whole batch. We did this series this past summer on uh, recovering Pharisees like me. We have tendencies, don't we, as Pharisees? Jesus pushed back against that hard. And to his disciples, he says, be on your guard against that yeast of the Pharisees that's, that threatens to bring you down. Count the baskets. There's leftovers for the Jewish folks. There's leftovers for the Gentile folks as well. What we do for us, we also do for them. Be on your guard against anybody who would tell you any different. Why? Because this is good news for all. All. Here's the question. Let's apply that, shall we? How about you? Who would you not consider inviting to Christmas adventure? Who would you, in your brain, there's a foregone conclusion, well, they don't need that invitation, or I don't want to give that invitation? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Joy is for all. Don't be the gatekeeper of joy. Who would you invest in? Who would you invite? Short answer to that should be all. God's done something for you. Come and see, then go and tell. Who would you not consider? Well, 
Be careful as you answer that question. Because Jesus came for Jews and Gentiles. Jesus came for people living. Jesus came for people who were poor and underprivileged. Jesus came for everyone. Let's go back to our story, shall we? Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host, if they were scared before, this had to terrify them, appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest of heavens and on earth peace to those to whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us again. So they hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. This is the nativity scene. This is what we celebrate this time of year. Who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Come and see. Go and tell. Concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds didn't just want to take the angel at his word. They wanted to experience it for themselves. Why? Because they were looking for joy, for reasons to jump for joy. The shepherds felt this. This is an inclusive message. It's for all. Here's the second reason. Your circumstances don't dictate your joy. Remember, circumstances, well, that's happiness. Joy is deeper. Joy goes beyond. Joy for people like the shepherds typically would have been hard to find. But the angel said it was theirs to experience not because Jesus was going to be Caesar or to put people in power, but because the news of great joy was possible no matter, hear me, hear me, hear me, no matter who was in power, no matter what was happening, no matter who was calling the shots. In other words, the angels were saying, nothing around you may change, but your experience of Jesus can change Everything. So light the joy candle, lean into the opportunity. This can give you joy no matter how bad things are. This is good news for the shepherds. Mm. This is good news for us today. Four reasons to jump for joy. Let's look at the third right here. Joy is a choice. Yeah, choose joy. Joy is something that we can choose today no matter what our circumstances look like. If you skip ahead a little bit in the story, you come to a point in the story where the early church is exploding in growth. There's a letter written to a group of Christians that happen to be Jewish people. The the letter is called Hebrews, after all. And they're saying it's worth it to follow Jesus. There can be joy to be found there. By the way, Jesus is our model for joy. Circumstances didn't determine his joy. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 12. Call to action. Be like Jesus. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He is who we're seeking to emulate. The pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him. And this is a curious phrase. He endured the cross. Joy hanging on a cross until you asphyxiate and die. Really. Scorning its shame, scantily clad, dying publicly in front of a mocking crowd. Let's read the rest of it. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, but don't jump too quickly to that point. Jesus endures shame, 
because he knows there's something on the other side of that. Circumstances don't dictate his joy. They shouldn't dictate ours as well. Just so we can be practical about this, I found an article this past week. I want to share this with you right now. If you're looking for practical ways that you can choose joy right now, this week at Christmas time, in the middle of all the craziness and all the busyness, you might want to write these down. Lean into these opportunities this week. This was written by a worship pastor's wife. It's a busy time of year for worship pastors and their families. It's the Super Bowl of the church year, right? And she's writing this mostly to encourage other folks who live in her same circumstances, but she's saying joy doesn't have to be circumstantial. And by the way, here's some ways that you can lean into choosing joy. These work for anyone. I love this. She says the first one here. She says journal. You write down a record of what you're experiencing By the way, young parents, could I encourage you? This is a good idea anyway. One of these days when you're my age, you're going to want to go back and read what you were experiencing during those crazy, hectic years when your kids are tiny. This is a great way to be reminded year over year of what God is doing, what he's done, how faithful he is, how he continues to be faithful. What you were stressing about two or three years ago, it kind of worked itself out. God is in control. He's still on his throne. Write it down. Journal. How about this one? Remember and be grateful. Have you taken time, even this Christmas season, to write down the things that you have so much reason to be grateful for? Remember those things. How about this one? Stay on task. It's kind of like when you go on vacation and you choose to go work out immediately or your day off. You get the stuff done that you need to get done so you can enjoy the rest of the experience. Same thing here. Stay on task. Do the things that have to be done. Check those things off your list. Don't procrastinate. How about this one? Number four, let things go. That's a double meaning, by the way. Not just let the things go that really are petty and you should just let them go, but let things go. Remember, people over process, especially this time of year. How about number five? Reach out. Instead of focusing so much on you, who can you serve this time of year? By the way, have you signed up yet to serve here Christmas Adventure? This is a great opportunity. Number six, be generous. And in the middle of that fight comparison, joy is not found in the things that you buy and you give your kids this year Joy is much deeper than that. Generosity fuels that. Number seven, put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in Christos. We just read about him. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you are wealthy or poor, no matter who you are, there is joy to be found for all when we put our hope in Jesus Christ. Which brings me full circle to the fourth reason The fourth reason to jump for joy, this is the absolute key to joy. Do not miss it. The key to joy is experiencing God's love. Something beautiful is going to happen in just a few days in this room. Thursday night, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, we're going to gather together in this space. We're going to light the rest of those candles. There's going to be a moment in the service where we feel the love of Christ spread through the room. You're going to be holding a candle, and you're going to take, soak that in. As you look around and you see the glow of candlelight, there is joy to be found 
in the person and the nature of Jesus and worshiping him together in community. I would wish that experience this next week on you. You know what? I would also worship that on your one, or I would wish that upon your one. I would wish that experience on somebody inside your sphere of influence that you can invest in and you can invite. We're going to be offering an invitation during the service. I would wish for them to get to experience that and to be told, maybe some of them for the first time, exactly how much Jesus loves them. There's joy to be found in that experience. So would you do that this week? Would you lean in to joy? Each week I've been saying this. The first week we said, where there is not hope, well, you be the bringer of hope. Then we said last week, where there's not peace, you be the bringer of peace. Bring it with you. Jesus in you to a world that desperately needs to see him. This week is just like it. Here's the action step. Where there is not joy, you bring it. Starting right now. Would you stand up with me? We're going to respond bringing joy into our hearts as we gear up to bring joy to a world that desperately needs to see it in us and through us. We're going to respond. I bet you can't guess the song. Before we do that, would you bow your heads and let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that there is joy to be found in a life lived in proximity with you. Ha, speaking of proximity... I thank you that your very name, Emmanuel, means God with us. You are present to those angels. You are present to us today. As we lean into that truth, as we respond with worship, we just say we love you. And we lean into the truth of joy right now.